Good morning and greetings to you from the brothers and sisters at Carolina and Locust. It's good to be worshiping with you, another sister church in our denomination here in Albemarle. You know, it's hard to believe that it's nearly December and we've entered the Advent season already. You know, Advent's a time, like we were talking about a while ago, we stopped to think about the coming of our Savior, the promises that were made long, long ago, and how they were all fulfilled. Well, have you ever stopped to think about just what Christmas really means? I mean, what it really means. I mean, it's about the baby in the manger, about the shepherds, the angels, the young couple who found no place to stay except in a stable, or actually more like a small cave. You know, it's about all that, but it's so much more. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to bless all nations through their offspring. It's hope, hope that's offered to mankind through forgiveness of sins. Christmas is about the coming of the one who will crush the head of our enemy, Satan. And it reminds us one day, the promise that was made so long ago, our savior will not only come once as a baby, but again in glory. And so over the next few weeks, Christians around the world are gonna take some time to look at the hope we have in Jesus. And as we do that, hopefully, we'll spend some time looking at how he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament and see how Jesus, the babe in the manger, impacted lives from the most lowly to the most powerful. So as we consider the birth of Christ over the upcoming days and weeks, over the month of December, the fulfillment of God's promise to send us a redeemer. You know, I hope that you and I like will be encouraged, strengthened through scripture. And I hope that we'll begin to see our Christmas celebrations in a different light. It's my hope that the Holy Spirit will deepen our understandings of our savior and cause us to grow in our love for the Lord. Well, a number of years ago, there was a man in Washington, D.C., who walked down the streets carrying a violin case with him. He came to a stop outside one of the entrances to D.C.'s metro, which is similar to New York City's subway, their mass transit um, system. He stopped there by one of the entrances to the metro, put down his case, opened it up, pulled out a violin, and started to play. Well, he was playing and the music was absolutely beautiful. The streets of DC were crowded and he was by a crowded entrance. So there were people passing by almost constantly. The crisp, clear, beautiful notes filled the air all around him. But as he was playing, surprisingly, most people walked right by. They didn't stop, they didn't acknowledge. For the most part, they certainly heard the music. And if they were close enough, they could certainly see him playing. But they went right on by as nothing, as if nothing were going on at all. Some kids stopped by. They wanted to hear, they were curious. They heard the music, they watched him play the violin. They were curious. But their mothers, holding their hands, pulled them along after um, not too long because they had places to go, things to do. On occasion, 
somebody would stop a moment, they'd throw some coins or a dollar bill into his violin case. And even from time to time, there were those who would stop and pause for a moment to listen. But by and large, most people walked by. Very few stopped for any significant length of time. And he was there for 30, 45 minutes or so, and when his time was up, he packed up to leave. He noticed there was maybe $50 in his case. Well, this man wasn't just someone who liked to play the fiddle. No, indeed. A well-cultured person, I imagine, may know him by name. His name is Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest violinists. He's well-known by symphony conductors. He's well-known by professional violinists and by classical music enthusiasts. He was a child prodigy. When he was a kid and started learning the violin, it was discovered that he had a tremendous talent for it. He picked it up easily. The music he made was absolutely beautiful. His skill increased over the years, and it's astounding. However, only a few people recognized who he was. He was recognized by those who were aware of him. Those who knew Joshua Bell, knew who he was, they recognized him. If more people realized who he was though, maybe they would have stopped to listen even more. And if they had stopped to listen, they'd have been in for a treat. But people didn't recognize greatness when they saw it, or in this case, when they heard it. So they missed out. Well, today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that describes someone who, like Joshua Bell here in D.C. on that day, wasn't recognized by many people. And this person was infinitely more impressive than this violinist. So we're going to look together at the Gospel of John, beginning with the first verse of the first chapter. So take your Bible, please, and um, read along with me as I um, read the first verse through the 18th verse. So give a listen as we read and hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. So let's pray. Fathers, we open your word. We ask now that your spirit will take it and apply it to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds that will understand. And by your spirit, take it and root it firmly in our hearts. And through it, give us more love and more devotion to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at these verses here today, I want us to consider three things. I want us to think of who is the word? Who is the word that John mentions here? And then what happened when the word entered the world? And thirdly, we'll look at what are the blessings of receiving the word. So let's start and let's, let's just find out who is the word. Well, the apostle John here begins his gospel by telling us about the greatest person to ever walk the earth. Much greater than the most talented musician. Far greater than the most skilled athlete. It's a person he introduces simply as the Word. We know him as Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel. And the verses here that begin John's Gospel, they're amazing. They're, they're just astounding. In fact, we could devote an entire sermon to each verse alone. They're so packed with information. And as I've read it more and more, I get more excited about it. This is, this is just one of those passages, those wow passages, that speaks volumes and volumes, just these first four or five verses. You know, Matthew and Luke, two other gospel writers, they both begin their gospel accounts with the birth of Jesus. Matthew gives us Jesus' family tree. Luke tells us about who his parents are here on earth and about his birth. But John goes back much further than either one of those do. You know, if you remember the old cartoons, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, you remember Mr. Peabody had a little contraption he called the Wayback Machine, and he could go anywhere. Well, here, John takes us in his Wayback Machine and takes us all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And John lets us know who was there in the beginning. John lets us know that there hasn't been a time when Jesus hasn't existed. He's always been. In the beginning was the Word. But John doesn't stop there. He tells us more about Jesus. Jesus, the Word, was with God in the beginning. In eternity past, there was the Word. The Word was with God. You know, when you hear the word with, you think of someone that is alongside someone, someone, someone who is separate or distinct from another. He was there with God in the beginning. But then John goes even further, and he hits us with his punchline. John tells us that not only was the word with God, the word was God. Okay, if you start thinking about this, it kind of gets your head spinning. You know, the word was with God. The word was God. Distinct, separate, but then the same. You see what John's doing here? 
here, right here in these opening verses of his gospel. He's unfolding the doctrine of the Trinity right here for us. The Word was with God. The Word was God, always existing, always being. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. You know, if you ever come across anyone who wants to argue with you about who Jesus is or isn't, you can take them right here to these opening verses of John. But let's go on. Here, these, these opening verses here bring to mind the first chapter of Genesis too, don't they? You know, in the beginning. You know, I bet nearly every one of us can recite that opening verse of Genesis from memory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now John's telling us that the word was there with him. Jesus was right there. John goes on to say all things were made through him. Now, doesn't this remind you of the creation account in Genesis? How was the world created? It was created by a word. God spoke and things came into being. There was nothing. God spoke and there was something. There was nothing. God spoke and there was something else. Day after day for six days, God spoke the word and the world and everything in it came into being. In the beginning was the word. You know, this third verse here tells us that through him, everything was made. And the word John refers to here, Jesus, is the agent of creation. So not only was the word with God, not only was he God, not only was there in the beginning at creation, John tells us in the word was life. Life comes from him, from the word. He's the one who created life. Through him, all things were made. The word, Jesus, the agent of creation. Jesus is the light that's shown into the darkness. He's the one who gives life, both at creation and then at the cross of Calvary. Now, Jesus is a life giver. In him was the light of men. Jesus is the light of the world, as we mentioned earlier, with the lighting of the advent candle. Jesus himself will say this same thing about himself later on in the gospel. Jesus is the light of the world. Well, if you go ahead in John 8, 12, um, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Doesn't that echo what John is telling us about Jesus right here in the opening chapter? Jesus is light. But in this world, there's darkness. There was darkness in the nothingness that existed before our Lord created. And still, there's darkness. In our world, we have the darkness of evil, the darkness of sin. Since creation, since Adam sinned, there has been darkness in the world, and it's been opposed to the light. It's tried to control the light. It's tried to master the light, but it hasn't. The darkness hasn't overcome the light. Well, think about light for just a minute with me. What does light do? Now, have you ever been to Linville Caverns? You go into the, go into the mountains, go into Linville Caverns, you're traveling under, underground, you're seeing all the beauty under there that you'd never see otherwise, and you get right in the middle of it, and the tour guide would turn the lights off. 
and there underground is completely dark. I mean, somebody could wave their hand right in front of your face. You'd never know it. The only way you may know something was going on if you could feel the air that was being fanned by their hand. It's pitch dark. But if you were to turn on just the smallest light, maybe that little light gadget on your phone, or even lift up your phone and have it light up, you'd be able to see. People around you could see it. It may not be anything more than just a little pinpoint of light in the distance, but you could still see the light. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness inside a cavern, under a mountain, and darkness in a fallen world caused by sin. You know, try as it may, the darkness cannot overcome the light that's come into the world. Well, from the opening chapters of Genesis, we know that our enemy, Satan, has tried all that he can to destroy the light. But we know what our enemy's end will be. Genesis 3.15, he, Jesus, will bruise your head and you, Satan, will bruise his heel. Satan will strike at our Savior, but Jesus is going to give Satan the final death blow. He'll crush his head. And the one that's going to do that is coming into the world. Well, what does this mean for us? How can we be encouraged at these opening verses in John's gospel? You know, Philip Hughes, a, um, a pastor or a commentator, had this to say about, about this. He said, we can trust our God with everything. Because he's our creator, because he made us. He knows just what his creation, his people, need. Jesus, the eternal word, he knows our needs. He knows how to keep us in perfect running order because he's our creator. He made us. He knows us. He gives life. He gives light. He dispels darkness. If you trust him, if you rest in him, if you surrender your life to him, if you do this, you have light. You have light that cannot be overcome by darkness. Who is this word? Who is the word John mentions? The word is with God. The word is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And his name's Jesus. Well, what happened when the word entered the world? You know, in verse 9, John goes right back to his last description of Jesus, which is light. The light came into the world. Well, what do you think happened? What happened? when the word entered the world. Well, if you think back to the story I told you at the beginning, you'll remember that Joshua Bell, the violinist, was by and large ignored by the people who heard him when he stood on the streets playing music that day. Few people recognized who he was playing the beautiful music they heard. Well, the word came into this world. Jesus came into our world, the world he created. The world didn't know who they were dealing with. And the world didn't recognize the very one who made them, not even his very own people. Despite all the prophecies made about him, his own people didn't recognize him. And imagine that, the, the very ones who should have recognized the word, 
the ones who had been given the promises of God throughout the Old Testament, they didn't even receive him. They couldn't recognize him. And for the most part, the word was rejected. Now keep your fingers here in John and go back with me to Isaiah. Find Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 3. And this is usually a text we think of more along the time of Easter, but it applies to us here as well. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied about our Savior. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The world didn't know who Jesus was. Many of his own people didn't know who he was. But some did know him though. Some did recognize him. Look back at John 1, starting at verse 14. In verse 14, John tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, Jesus, entered the world by becoming flesh. He became one of us. The Creator came and He dwelt with His creatures. He became fully human and He lived life in this cursed and fallen world with us and for us. And when Jesus came, guess what we saw? John tells us we saw His glory. We saw the glory of God. The Word became flesh. The Word dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. As I was reading this earlier, it reminded me of this. John witnessed the transfiguration. Don't you think that maybe he had that in mind as he was writing these words down? The memory of what he had seen, the glory of God, the glory that brought him and the others that were with him down to the ground in worship. We have seen his glory through Christ. You see, Jesus reflects the glory of his Father. Jesus is full of grace and of truth. And through him, we've received grace and grace and more grace. Moses brought us the law. The law that shows us that we can never measure up to God's standard. The law shows us that we're doomed. Unless someone comes and does it for us. That someone's Jesus. The Word. The Son of God who put on skin and came and lived with his creation in the world that he made. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. We've seen his glory. Well, way back in the Old Testament, back in Exodus 32, 
We read about an account about Moses, the people of Israel. And at this particular point in time, Moses was done. He'd had it. Moses had been up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And while he was there in the presence of the Lord, the Israelites down below had made a calf. And they had begun worshiping that calf. Moses was hot. He was discouraged. And the Israelites had been punished by God for what they had done. And God had even told Moses to take them away from his presence. He was done with them. And it was at this time Moses needed encouragement. He needed reassurance. So in the following chapter, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked something. Listen to what Moses asked. Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses couldn't gaze upon the glory of God. He wanted God to show you his glory, to show him his glory. He needed that encouragement. But no one can look upon the face of God and live because he is simply too holy. Even when Moses came down from the mountain after being with God, he had to put a veil over his face just because of the glory of being in the presence of God was too much for the people to bear. But God saw the glory of God as God moved away from him. God was gracious enough to hide Moses from his face and therefore spare his life. But, but what does John say? We've seen God's glory in Christ, in the Word made flesh. We've seen the glory of the Father. You know, isn't that something? Moses couldn't see the glory of God because if he did, he would certainly die. We've seen the glory of God in Christ and because of that, we'll live. We've not seen God but the one at the Father's side, Jesus, the Word. He's made him known to us. And through him, we have seen God's glory. Brothers and sisters, doesn't this encourage you? Doesn't it bring you comfort? Grace, truth, brought to us by Christ. Look to him, rest in him, receive him, and be blessed. Well, so far today, we've seen who the word is. The word is Jesus the second person of the Trinity. We've taken a look at what happened when the Word entered the world. Now, by and large, he was rejected. People didn't know him, they didn't receive him, but some did. Now, let's look and see what happens to the ones who did receive him. Let's look at our third point today. What are the blessings of receiving the Word? Many, many people, but not everybody, rejected Jesus. Many didn't know the word. 
they didn't receive the word. There were those who would follow Jesus for a time until what he had to say just became too much for them. But just like there were some folks in the story who recognized the great violinist at DC's Metro, there were some people who did recognize Jesus, who did recognize the word, the true light. And look what happened to them. Look back at verses 12 and verse 13 in John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There were people who received him, who believed him, to all of those who received him, to all of those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, John didn't leave it ambiguous here either as to what it means to receive Jesus. There's no questioning what he meant to say because he comes right out and says it. He lets us know point blank. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Believe in his name. Believe that he is who he is. Believe what he came to do. Believe on him. That's what it means to receive him. Believe. You know, for the last several years, there's been, I've noticed, an increase in, in what I call word art. You know, a lot, a lot of people's houses, you'll see them. Not pictures hanging on the walls, but just a word. Maybe love or family. Different words people put up on their walls. You see them on tables, you see them on walls, you see them by people's front doors. Um, one that I see at Christmas is a word that just simply says, believe, period. You see pictures of it, you see little, little carvings of the word where it's been um, cut out, you can sit it on a table, believe. You know, if you've seen the movie, The Polar Express, you know that that's the word that is stamped out on the train ticket believe. And in the movie, you know, you're believing in the magic of Christmas, believe in hope, anticipation, the excitement of the holiday. But as believers, we know that this word, believe, takes on much more meaning. Believe who Jesus is. Believe his claims. Believe the word of God and receive him. Now John lets us in on a little bit more here too. What's the difference between those who received him and those who didn't. In verse 13, John lets us know that the difference between someone receiving Jesus and not, it isn't anything about them at all. It's not that they suddenly broke into song and started saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No, it's all about God. God changed them. They received Jesus, everyone who received Jesus by faith. The ones who believed that he is who he said he is. They were given the right to be called God's children. They were spiritually reborn into God's family. They were given new life. You know, what an amazing gift. You know, if you've come to Christ in faith and repentance, if you've received this word made flesh, then you're one of God's own family members. Think about, think about what it means to be part of a family. Think about the relationship you have with your family, your children, 
your spouse. Pretty much everything you have, you know, a house, food, clothes, time together on vacation as a family, those are all things you share together as a family. Those who received Christ gained this blessing of the Father, being part of his family. You know, if you're to go ahead, ahead a few chapters, chapter 3, Jesus speaks with a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus about the amazing love God has for his people. Whoever believes Jesus is the one who receives him. Whoever believes is the one who has eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but has life everlasting. These are the things that Jesus told Nicodemus about. And these are things that those who receive Christ, who believe him, have as well. So be encouraged, believer. You're not condemned. You've got a relationship with the Father through Christ, through the Word who was made flesh and who dwells with us. We have, as part of God's family, we have a restored relationship. We have forgiveness of sins. We have fellowship with Him. And we have abundant life. So, so what's John's big idea here? Can you see it right here in front of us? You've got to recognize the word. You've got to receive the word. You've got to know who you're dealing with here. You're dealing with Jesus, the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one all the Old Testament prophecies pointed to. Jesus is the greatest man who's ever walked on the face of the earth. You know, think of the person you admire the most. Jesus is greater. Think of the most upstanding citizen you know. Jesus is greater. Think of the greatest preacher or evangelist you ever heard. Jesus is greater. Just think how horrible it would be to celebrate Christmas year after year, enjoying good times and exchanging gifts with your family and your friends, but not receive the only gift that will bless you, both in the present and in the age to come. The best Christmas gift you or I could ever receive here on earth pales in comparison to Christ. Don't be like those who fail to recognize him for who he is. John warns us, there are many people who saw Jesus, but didn't really see him. There are lots of folks who walked with him, yet they didn't recognize who he was. Believe him. Trust him. Come to him in faith and repentance. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the light of the world who shattered the darkness of sin and its power. Christ Jesus gives us hope. He's the one the prophets of old spoke about. He is the fulfillment of God's promise from the beginning. Don't let this Christmas season pass without considering just who the babe in the manger is. Too many times we're guilty of seeing Jesus as just a little cute baby lying in the straw, but he's so much more. We need to think of who this baby was, who he grew up into being. He was Christ, God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. He's the Word. He's the Creator. He's our Savior. Christian, 
rejoice in this. The light has come. If you've never put your faith in Christ and come to him in faith and repentance, don't walk out of this room today without receiving him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for your printed word that tells us about you, tells us all we need to know about the true word, Christ our Savior, who came into the world as a baby, grew up as one of us, as a man, but without sin. Thank you that the word made flesh did for us what we could never do for ourselves, live the life that you require. Yet he took our sin upon himself and took the punishment that each of us deserves. So Lord, as we enter this Christmas season, help us not get so wrapped up in all the celebrations and the extras of the holiday that we forget the true meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.